This device isn't a spaceship. It's a time machine. Goes backwards, forwards. It takes us to a place where we ache to go again. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. It'll still work. Okay, hello. Uh, welcome to the Carousel Podcast. I have with me today Baruch Kogan, uh, big Twitter name and um, Israeli uh, base Israeli who is of course in Israel right now. Uh, he is telling me about what's going on right there now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just want to hand it over to you and, um, let you kind of describe what's going on. Sure. Um, so what's going on right now, we are in a war. Um, it started yesterday morning with, uh, a, really well done surprise attack from uh, Hamas from uh, from Gaza, um, which I can go into the details as, as far as I know them uh, pretty soon. Basically, uh, there's a ton of Israelis dead. Uh, there's um, thousands of Israelis wounded, um, and uh, it looks like hundreds, um, low hundreds, who have been taken hostage and brought back to Gaza. Um, I found out about all this yesterday morning. It was uh, Shabbat. Um, it was the holiday of Sukkot. And uh, at about 8 in the morning, the neighbor came by and said, hey, listen, you know, you've got your gun on you. Can you stay in the area? We have some sort of war going on. Um, that, you know, my husband's been called up, and it seems like you're the only uh, armed man who's left on, on the hilltop. I live on a hilltop uh, with about five families in Samaria. Um, and so since then, I've been uh, watching the situation develop. Uh, spent today um, basically trying to figure out how to get a long gun and uh, figure out, you know, contingency planning with the family, how I'm going to, um, you know, who I can, uh, who else I can help in the area, and so on and so forth, other isolated uh, settlements and communities and so on. So you're saying that you are the you live on a hilltop in Sumeria, which is is that this is a settler community? Is that right? Yeah, it's a it's a very small settler community in uh, Sumeria. Yeah, and the another guy in your community got immediately called up to the military. Well, as it as it happens, it was not clear what the scope of the war was at first. And so he got called up. It was not clear. Um, he thought that he was going to get called up north or down south. Um, as it happens, he's stuck around here. And uh, since yesterday morning, we've got a couple other people with, uh, with firearms around. So that situation would do. Um, the situation kind of uh, become a little bit more clear also. And it seems that so far the war is in the south, Gaza, 
uh, mostly with uh, some Arab riots in the Negev, um, but no major events here in Samaria yet. There seems to have been some artillery fire and rocket fire up north uh, between uh, the IDF and Hezbollah, but again, no massive attacks across the northern border as of yet. So, so what is what does that part of it mean that Hezbollah did? So, I mean, obviously the the people coming out of West Bank, are not, wait, sorry, it's out of Gaza, my bad, is uh, Hamas. And then there's this question right. of 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 whether Hezbollah is going to come down from the north. But what does it mean that there has been artillery fire there? So it's not clear whether Hezbollah is going to join the festivities. Yeah, it's not really clear how everybody everybody's been called up and put in a holding pattern down south apparently. I don't think they've pushed across the border yet, but they're down there around Gaza, trying to clear up the uh, remains of the incursions yesterday, uh, trying to wipe up any remaining Hamas cells who are across the border. Um, the Israeli Air Force is doing airstrikes there, which again, it's not clear. It seems like they're still doing their wonderful humanist strategy of um, warning the Hamas people that, hey, we're going to drop a bomb on this building, please leave the building, so God forbid none of you get hurt, which they've been doing, you know, for the last, I don't know, 15 years. Um, and so Hezbollah up north allegedly has has been preparing to launch a massive rocket barrage and then cross uh, the border with its light infantry force. And... Um, you know, try to overrun various border communities in the north, uh, et cetera, so forth. So that's kind of where we're at. Also, of course, we have our wonderful uh, diversity contingent here in uh, in Judea and Samaria, uh, i.e. the West Bank, and also in Israel proper, quote-unquote, in places like Umofahim and uh, so on and so forth. And with the exception of some rioting in the south, so far, they haven't really joined the festivities. So, so it's, not, it's not clear what happens if if Hezbollah and or like the quote unquote Israeli Arabs if they jump in. Um, it's not clear how the security system will deal with it. Um, it may very well be that every community is going to have to provide its own defense for some time. Wow. So uh what's your sense of what happened here i mean i i you know i heard the stuff about the al-aqsa mosque that jews were praying there which is you know a violation of some kind in the muslim world um but others are saying this is way too sophisticated an attack to just be in response to that so what is your feelings about like why this happened and how. So my feelings about why this happened and how are kind of long range. Basically, when you look at the history of the government of Israel, it started off by abandoning the Torah of Israel uh, in favor of the land of Israel. In right. other words, we're not going to keep the commandments and we're not going to learn Torah and we're actually going to throw out all of Judaism. But 
you know, we're going to justify this by the fact that we're living in the land and we're this like new noble Jew who has, you know, large pictorial muscles and he's working the land with his, uh, you know, hoe or his shovel and here, you know, plowing the land and becoming thus ennobled and he's no longer the hunchback, you know, nearsighted Jew of the Galut, you know, the diaspora with his nose stuck in the book, blah, blah, blah all this like heroic socialist realism. Stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and right. Yeah. And in actuality, of course, it didn't work out that way. Uh, they were far from ennobled as anybody with a close acquaintance of Israeli politicians probably knows. Um, but then the next step after that was in the nineties when they betrayed the land of Israel itself, you know, it, in favor of essentially the people of Israel. They said, well, listen, you know, the land of Israel, maybe you can say from the 70s because uh, Menachem Begin turned over uh, the Sinai to to the Egyptians, which the Sinai is now crawling with uh, the Islamic State and it's basically the Wild West. Um, and then followed by the 1990s when Rabin handed over uh, big parts of uh, Judea and Samaria to the, uh, the Palestinians, to Yasser Arafat, who spent the previous 30 years murdering Jews everywhere he could. Um, and the premise there was that, look, you know, it's really inconvenient to uh, occupy all these places and to impose our law and order on them. And we can just, you know, of course, these guys say they want to kill us all and, you know, expel us and kill us and, and so on and so forth. But really, it's just a cry for help. And so if we just ignore what they've been saying and doing, and we just give them a bunch of land and we give them uh, weapons and we let the Americans train them in, you know, police tactics such as sniping and explosives and placement and surveillance and so on and so forth. Um, a, they will be grateful. And then B, they will become our security subcontractors. And then that will actually save Jewish lives. Okay? Uh, yeah. and, and, and it will actually, not only will it save Jewish lives, um, it will actually uh, spare the Jews from having to do this like very depressing and soul-crushing work of imposing our rule on this foreign population. We're yeah. occupiers. Isn't that what the Nazis did to Poland? Blah, 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 blah. Right. So right. that was like the 1990s. And then Robin got killed, you know. Yep. Deservedly so. Paris came in and screwed up. Bibi Netanyahu came in after Paris and said, okay, now we're going to be right-wing. But actually, he just kept doing the same stuff. He handed over Hebron to the Arabs. He handed over a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, kind of like in the U.S., when, like, when the left wing does something, and then the right wing comes into power, and they're like, yeah, well, we can't really do anything about this. Now it's like casting stone. You know what I'm saying? So mm. that's basically right. So until now, the Palestinian Authority, which was the Palestine Liberation Organization, uh, had been in charge. However... Hamas um, had been growing within the areas that the, the PA had controlled. Uh, and Hamas had actually is the local branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, but it, it was built up more or less with a wink and a nudge from the Israeli government, which said, look, the uh, Palestinian Liberation Organization is a bunch of godless socialists, which is true. Um, and these Hamas guys are like religious fundamentalists and therefore galaxy brain moment. Now, now that you know, we can see that we can 
let them get weapons and we can let them get training and funding and then they'll fight these uh socialist Arab terrorists. Ah, I see. So that's what Hamas is. So Hamas is more like the Taliban and the PLO is more like the angry communists. I I mean kind of sort of in in some ways. So then in 2005 um, Ariel Sharon, who until then had been this like fire-breathing right-wing guy, his kids got hemmed up in some corruption scandals, and apparently they came to him and said, listen, dude, we're going to make an offer you can't refuse. And so Ariel Sharon turned around and said, listen, you know, Gaza is so densely occupied, it's so full of Arabs, and, you know, and also it's such a small area, we can so easily control it, we're just going to give it to the Arabs. And, and then you know, it's going to become like Singapore on the Mediterranean. I think that's what Thomas Friedman uh, forecast. <laughs> is freed from Israeli occupation. No, seriously. Um, they were going to be Singapore on the Mediterranean. And also, if even a single rocket is launched from Gaza, that was like their cry, like of, of, of the left. Yeah. Like, if even a single rocket, oh man, we're going to. So what they did was they took all the Jewish settlements in Gaza, which had been there for like 20 years and were really flourishing. Um, growing all kinds of stuff and making all kinds of stuff and they ethically cleansed them meaning the idf and the israeli police and and you know they all came in there uh pulled all these guys out of there dragged them all out dismantled um their synagogues left all their greenhouses and stuff uh wow and then you know to be actually i, I don't think they dismantled the synagogues i think they, they removed the dead anyway so the palestinians came took all the stuff over that scrape of whatever they could, and then Hamas launched an ins- internal insurrection uh, inside Gaza and killed off all the PLO guys. It was kind of funny because they threw them off of the uh, the, the high-rise building in Gaza City, and the joke was that Force 17, which was the special forces of the PLO, uh, what they were actually good for was being you know thrown from the 17th floor. Um, <laughs> It, it was funny because in this conflict, I, yeah. as, as I recall, Hamas was being backed by like the CIA and the PLO was being backed by the Americans, or maybe it was the other way around. I don't really remember and I don't really care. Um, and so Hamas came in and Hamas being a bunch of earnest religious guys, you know, their charter says, listen, the land of uh, Palestine belongs to the entire Ummah, the Muslim global community, and the Palestinian people are kind of, you know, holding it in trust it's forbidden for us to um make a peace deal with the jews and in fact we need to go and kill the jews where we find them and then they bring the uh uh the verse in the quran that says you know the day is coming when uh every tree is going to say listen muslim there's a jew hiding behind me come and kill him that's in their charter that's like you know the hamas constitution so anyway Hamas took over. Hamas immediately started, you know, doing like the t- totally truth in advertising, trying to kill Jews. Um, and that was back in like, I think 2007, they took over, 2006. And that's basically been the theme of Israel uh, Hamas relations since then. There's also the Islamic Jihad, which is, I believe it's a PLO linked group there, which also launches rockets at us. So the government of Israel has basically gone back and forth between uh, issuing bellicose statements, 
promising that, you know, if we get quiet, you know, you guys will get all the stuff you so desperately need in there because you're landlocked, except for, of course, the Egyptian border. But the Egyptians immediately said, like, screw these guys, they're a bunch of terrorists. We're not going to, we're not going to mollycoddle them. And, and so there's periods when everything's quiet and the genius, I, I call them the Goy, the, the GOI, right? The government of Israel. So the <laughs> Goy's brilliant policy is that they let all these poor uh, Palestinians who live in Gaza come and cross the border every day to work in Israel. Because right. then they'll get money and then they will love us or yeah. at least they won't hate us or they won't want to kill us. Um, and of course, providing them free electricity and uh, free water and everything else. Um, and so there's like periods like this, which Hamas uses to build up its uh, arsenal, uh, small arms and rockets and so on. And then there's periods where Hamas finds some sort of pretext, like in this case, you can say the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is actually the Temple Mount, yeah. where our holy temple stood and yeah. was destroyed and was rebuilt and was destroyed again, and God willing will be rebuilt soon in the near future. Uh, the fact that Jews go up there, they do not go into the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Actually, the Jews get sort of herded in a circle around the outer, outer perimeter of the Temple Mount. Uh, the, the place is full of swarming with Arabs, they're very uh, reverent towards the, you know, the, the holy uh, Temple Mount. They're playing soccer on there and spraying each other down with water guns and so on. So it's, it's terribly insulting to them that these uh, Jews dare to go and walk in a circle up there. Right. So, right. so periodically they find a pretext like this and then they start launching missiles and the Israeli government, you know, does what it does best, which is that, uh, you know, they make like very serious faces. Bibi makes like this very like stern face and promises, you know, we're going to punish them and we're mm. going to destroy their infrastructure and uh, so on and so forth. And then whoever the uh, chief of staff happens to be also, you know, he juts out his square jaw and mm. like wrinkles up his, his manly beret. And he also promises all sorts of terrible things. And what actually happens is that they uh, bomb various buildings in Gaza after warning their uh, inhabitants to like, please, uh, vacate the building. Um, they try to kill combatants. Like until now, the typical body count was something like uh, a few dead Jews and then a couple of thousand dead Hamas combatants, because a lot of the combatants were actually carrying weapons. You know, they're like 15 years old or 16 years old, so now they magically turn into innocent, oppressed youths. Mm. Uh, and then this goes on for like a week, and then there's some sort of uh, under the carpet ceasefire deal, and then the um, the the Hamas guys get a bunch of money and uh, supplies to rebuild whatever it was that uh, that the uh, Israeli Air Force destroyed, and then there's quiet for another year or two. Or right. right. Yeah, yeah. Right. and that's like the typical pattern. Like uh, that. That's how it's. We've been in this state. You're saying since like 2006, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, there's a bunch of our, our local diversity, of course, a bunch of them are Hamas guys here in uh, Yud and the Shimron, and also, I guess, uh, inside like Israel proper, right? So they have their own cells. Actually, it's funny, one of the head Hamas guys in, uh, in uh, Judea and Samaria, his last name is Dwek, and Dwek is Dwek. Dwek is a big Syrian Jewish family very distinguished going back a long time and 
I guess some renegade branch of them converted to Islam at some point, oh. and that's where this guy comes from. So just like you know, the, the greatest wignats, you know, <laughs> are Jews. Yes, yes. So also one of the top Hamasics. Yeah. Um, and that basically takes us up to up to here. So there was some sort of pretext why we need to have a war now, and they again they did it really well. They um, they used first of all uh, the you know, very good timing. Uh, Sukkot and Shabbat, you know, the IDF tries to send people home. Um, very uh, well coordinated. They uh, launched a lot of rockets. And the fence that we built around Gaza, which uh, many people on the American right have been soy facing about, like what a beautiful fence. Um, and how electronically sophisticated it is. And every time like a bat flies by, there's an alert and, you know, every square inch is under surveillance, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's not really clear what happened with the fence, but it was breached multiple places all at once. And it took hours for there to be any sort of reaction. So the various command posts were reporting, hey, you know, they breached the fence, they're swarming out of there. And then it took them like an hour to get to these places. And then they uh, sort them with um, basically swarms of small, uh, small units. Um, they used uh, drones with uh, quite accurate shaped charges and were able to destroy several uh, very advanced tanks. They used hang gliders for vertical envelopment. They hit um, some sort of rave that was going on like a kilometer outside the fence. Yeah. I've heard that it was some sort of international peace rave. Yeah, it was the, the rave. Funny. Yeah, it was the festival for peace. And it was like you see pictures uh, from it and it's just like half naked girls like writhing, you know, like writhing. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, my God, this is the festival for peace, like and, right next to the border wall. Well, it's an also an excellent way to spend Shabbat and Sukkot. Um, yeah, also, right. <laughs> not to not to put too fine a point on it, but many of the kibbutzim around there that got hit have traditionally been very uh, progressive and were all in favor of the disengagement from Gaza because the settlements were oppressing the Arabs and getting in the way of peace. Um, I am I am in no way suggesting that these people like had a coming or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, but no, I'm not either. Of, I'm just saying it's just it's just like this is the the landscape. Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they basically uh, they killed a bunch of soldiers. They overran uh, some military bases. They apparently took prisoner uh, at least one general who had previously been in charge of the uh, of Israel's Death Command, which is in charge of like long range operations. Um, they killed a decent amount of people who'd been in special operations units, and. Uh, of course, you know, and I uh, took a bunch of, uh, oh, went into the towns around there, the kibbutzim, um, killed a lot of civilians, uh, TikTok themselves, uh, murdering, you know, women, children, old people, everything else, um, and kidnapped a bunch of civilians and, you know, took them all into Gaza. Uh, this whole time that this was going on, this went on for like six hours before there was any sort of organized reaction. <clears throat> Wow. Yeah. So, so that but was, uh, it, that was yesterday. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. 
So, so that was yesterday. Uh, they also took over the police station, the big town there, which is a big Israeli uh, brutal South Central compound, um, and went street to street, house to house, killing people. Um, and uh, eventually, there was some sort of organized reaction. There's still heavy military censorship. I don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, I think they've been trying to mop up uh, whatever Hamas cells and teams are still across the fence. I know that uh, the local security teams, who are made up of more or less volunteer civilians, uh, in, in at least one place were able to fight off the Hamas guys using just small arms and, uh, and save their settlement or their, their town. But unfortunately, the population here is more or less disarmed. You need like you need to provide justification for having even a pistol. Wow. And get getting yeah, and then you get fifty rounds of ammunition for it, like what I have, and that's it. Because why would you need any more? You know, that's what yes. the police and the army are for to keep you safe. And of course a rifle, you know, if you want a rifle, you know, you have to be in some sort of official organization. Otherwise, you're just going to have, you know, it's going to be like the Wild West, right? You're going to have school shootings. Although, of course, the Arabs have an estimated 400,000 uh, rifles and machine guns, you know, inside of Israel. Now, I'm not talking about Gaza and uh, and uh, Ramallah and Janine. I'm talking inside of Israel, they have almost half a million weapons. But that's okay. That's, that's fine. We can't do anything about that, so that's fine. But Jews, you know, can't have. So, which that, seems that so kind of weird. Yeah. So it's yeah no I mean the the gun ownership thing is very weird because it's not like Jews are shooting each other up uh, in schools, are they? Does that happen there? Well, they're not shooting each other up in schools because they can't have guns. They, because they can't have they guns, would. right? They, but they would. They would. Uh, <laughs> oh, of course they would. Those Ashkenazim would just, you know, just that's that's how they are, just animals. Yeah, wild animals. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so, but then, w- what do you make of the like geopolitical reasons behind this? Because it's obviously that they've been building this up for a while, and as mm-hmm. you're saying, this this uh, Temple Mount thing is just an excuse. Um, so why now? I mean, it seems like, like you said, it's been about 20 years since there's been a real conflict of this size. Why now? Why now? So there are different, there are different speculations on why now. So the official Israeli one is that Iran is behind everything. Iran is very bad. Iran is very evil. Iran wants to wipe us out to face the earth. About Iran and Iran is behind Hamas, and certainly they fund Hamas and certainly they train Hamas and and so on and so forth. The issue, of course, is that this is kind of this is kind of a bullshit excuse because what we have fundamentally is a population that's hostile to our our existence living here on our land. Okay, and. It's not like Hamas and the PLO just landed here from Mars. Some overwhelming percentage of the Arabs really supports any form of Arab stone Jews. Whether that's, you know, you can look at any poll and anything like the murder of the Fogel family 
in 2011 when these two Arabs came up from uh, Nablus, from Shem, and uh, came into this family's house and uh, murdered the husband, the wife, and like five of the little kids with knives, just, you know, slaughtered them. And it's just overwhelming support from the Arab people. Uh, every time that Jews get killed, whether that's women or children, uh, the Arabs across the land of Israel are standing on the corners and handing out sweets and celebration. Okay, so you can't do anything about that that would be acceptable to, quote-unquote, the international community, meaning the New York Times and the State Department. And if you offend them, then that means that your um, politicians can no longer go on shopping trips with their wives in, in Paris. That means that our generals, when they retire, our military and police generals and our intelligence officials, they can't get lucrative uh, consulting gigs in America and the EU, and they can't go and sell weapons to African countries without worrying about getting hemmed up. And in short, the really sweet part of their career, when they get to enjoy the fruits of all the hard work they put in, are over. They're not happening, right? So the best thing to do is to just kind of try to damp down the coals all the time, meaning that every time some Arab goes and shoots a, uh, a family on the roads here, you make a very stern speech and then you send your counter-terrorist group to go get that Arab and you either shoot him or you put him in jail with a life sentence, which lasts until the next big prisoner exchange, right? At the meantime, he's in there getting university education. And, and then you can say, okay, we, we're fighting terror. But really, what we got to fight is Iran. And so when you're fighting Iran, it's really cool because you can send Mossad guys there. They can like assassinate people. They can steal like nuclear documents. Our super cool Air Force could fly stealth planes there and bomb stuff, you know, bomb Iranian targets in Syria. And the really cool thing about all this is it only benefits the people who are our deep state, you can say. It certainly doesn't hurt them in any way. They don't have to pay any kind of personal price, right? Whereas if you were to say, well, look, the Arabs are hostile to us, um, inherently, there's nothing we can, we can do to make them like us. Any attempt to, to make them like us is treated as weakness, and therefore we have to act with strength, we have to oppress them, we have to try to encourage them to leave. I mean, that's a big no-no, right? And that's going to, the people who matter, the people who make the decisions, you know, the system which basically runs itself, it's going to bring some personal consequences to them potentially or at least keep them from reaping the benefits of their careers. And so, so that's Iran. Um, you can say, okay, well, we're about to have this great agreement with Saudi Arabia. And that's why they had to do it now to like blow that off. Cause now Saudi Arabia, they can't just be like, okay, well just go dump white phosphorus on them. I guess, dude, whatever you want to do, you know, they're really bad, right? They have to, uh, to maintain their standing in the eyes of, the, the Uma or, you know, the, the Sunni part of the Muslim world, right? They have to be like, listen, you know, we got to like, violence is bad. And, you know, like, yeah, okay, they got a bunch of your women and kids in there and we need to negotiate. And maybe, you know, you have several thousand terrorist prisoners in your jails. Maybe we should talk, blah, blah, blah. You can send them more money and et cetera, so forth, right? So they have to do that. And we, if we want to keep that, super awesome deal with Saudi Arabia. I'm not really sure what the benefits are, uh, except for maybe economical benefits. We have to like just cook. Okay. So maybe that's part of it. And right. it's possible, you know, 
every, every time that one of these wars happens, the, the Israeli sort of establishment spin on this is that they're doing this to us because they're weak and afraid. <laughs> right? So the reason they launched like hundreds of missiles at us or whatever, the reason they killed Jews, you know, it's, it's just because they're, they're insecure. Right. Because they know we're strong. And we're also, no, like seriously, all these like talking heads come on to the Israeli TV stations and radio stations and they spout this insane bullshit like with a totally serious face, you know, nodding at each other's sage words and stuff, you know, so they, they felt really insecure and that's why they lashed out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's just constant, like pity, pity party. Um, so it's why the gaslighting? Yeah. It's right. gaslighting. It's gaslighting of the population because the population also, you got to understand, dude, we pay like 70 to 80% of our income in taxes. Yeah. Okay. When you compound the taxes, like, after what comes out of, your, out of your paycheck, everything you buy gets taxed out the game. So, yeah. like, why do you have to, you know, why do I have to live in a dystopian in concrete box? And why do my kids go to a substandard school? I had a, an interesting episode with, uh, with a 21-year-old boy who didn't have any visible signs of mental impairment. And I asked him, by the by, he was just getting out of the Israeli army. As a, he was a combat soldier, so he had, had to take a mental aptitude exam and get a decent score. I asked him what 18 divided by three was, and he had a very hard time with it. He eventually settled for approximately six and a half. <laughs> right. It's, 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 uh, for, for, for the Israelis listening, it's, it's six. The answer is six. <laughs> um, so he was safe. So why do I have to, like, why do I have to be treated like a sheep in a concentrated animal, like feeding operation? And the answer is always because we protect it from the Arabs. Right. You know? Yeah, and yeah. and if you go, well, you're not protecting us from the Arabs because we're getting screwed by the Arabs. And then then the answer is no, you don't understand. They're they're only doing this because they feel weak and intimidated by how awesome we are. It's yeah. just constant gaslighting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm starting to get that impression uh, this time around that. Um, yeah, that, that that's coming to the fore a little bit more. So before, why is it? Can you just remind me that? Why won't Egypt take them or any of the other Arab countries? I can't remember. Can they not leave or they can leave, but they just won't take them? Like, oh, they why can can't leave. They, they can yeah. leave. Yeah, they can leave. <laughs> we've got the best Arabs. People tell us all the time we've got the best Arabs. Um, actually, in the, the Palestinian Arabs are relatively highly educated. And by the standards of the Arab world, they're, they're pretty all right. So, right. first of all, they can leave anytime. Second of all, the other Arabs don't want them because they're a pain in the ass. Yeah. They're politically active. They're full of, like, PLO and uh, Islamic Jihad and Hamas people. Um, and that's why the descendants of the... Uh, and, of course, they make for a great weapon to use against Israel, who, you know, naturally, we should be the regional powerhouse just by virtue of brains and industriousness. But, you know, they make for a great tool to use against us, which is why in most places in the Arab world where the Palestinian refugees went after 1948 and 1967, the two big wars that the Arabs lost, um, they, their descendants still don't have citizenship. They're living in giant cities, which are modern cities, like in Lebanon, by Lebanese standards, but these cities are called refugee camps, even though the people living in them 
are living in three-story concrete buildings, which they got from their grandpa. But these people are refugees. They don't have citizenship. They're somewhat politically disadvantaged, blah, blah, blah. So Egypt doesn't want them. Um, Jordan doesn't want them. Jordan is already 70% Palestinian by population mm-hmm. number. And Jordan actually did get them citizenship. And it's a constant source of internal conflict between the uh, Jordanian native Arabs, who are basically Bedouins mostly, and the descendants of these Palestinians. They actually had a civil war called Black September where uh, King Hussein had to had to crush them, I believe it was King Hussein, with like with like tanks. Wow. Because they revolted against the Jordanian regime. And uh, so they can go anywhere. There's big Palestinian populations in um, in uh, well all over the world, honestly. I mean my favorite political leader right is uh, Naib Bukele, whose father is a Palestinian Christian. Yeah, right. Bukele. Oh. This is El-, El Salvador. Correct. Yeah. And so he's a Palestinian Christian who converted or something, right? That's who his dad was. And and they grew up in El Salvador as like refugees or like immigrants? I. Yeah, they were immigrants. They weren't refugees. Yeah, they're just immigrants. You no, know, Palestinians are only refugees in Arab countries. Right. Okay. So his his um, so his uh, his uh, parents were were Palestinian. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So okay. So the other the surrounding countries don't want them, even though they are able to leave. So what's going to happen now? I mean, what? Is this just going to end like any of these other ones, or is anything actually yeah. significant going to happen? Well, I can't give you, I cannot give you a firm prediction. My gut instinct is that our government really wants to cuck. Bibi wants to cuck while making a stern face. Our military leaders really want to cuck while making a stern face. They do not want to go in there and go house to house with however many they are there. Two million, a million and a half, I don't know. There's no reliable population figures the population figures that Hamas issues are inflated, but they don't want to go through there and, and basically do like the battle of Fallujah times five or whatever. Um, the third battle of Fallujah, I think is the one where like they, they really solved the Fallujah question. So on the other hand, these people who have been killed and who've been taken hostage they're not like, they're not like, there's a lot of them, okay? If you were to extrapolate from population size, it's like having several thousand Americans taken hostage. Right. And those sociologically, like socioeconomically, they're not mostly lower class people or settlers, you know, or religious settlers or whoever, where the people who run the news in Israel, who run the, the government, the people who matter, would just go, yeah, well, you know, like, what, what do you expect? You know, you're, you're a religious fanatic. You live with your, like, 10 kids in the middle of a bunch of Arabs who has that many kids and sort of, you know, we're not saying you had it coming to you, but dude, you know, um, you can always go make some more kids if you're still alive, right? So they can't, they can't hand wave it away. You know, there are famous journalists whose family members have been slaughtered there and so on and so forth. So you kind of have to have some kind of win out of this. 
and the state has to come out of this with some kind of win. Yeah. Right. So right. they they might, despite themselves, get in there and try to win. And what happens when you try to win against Hamas? We don't know. It's never, it's honestly never been tried. The last big invasion was in 2014, and it was a bunch of Israeli infantry guys going and banging it out in Shujaya, which is sort of the Bronx of Gaza, and you know, taking losses, inflicting heavy losses, but the guys that were inflicting heavy losses on were like cannon fodder, you know, like nobody cared about them on the Hamas side. And then when they started lighting up the nice neighborhoods of Gaza City, uh, the seaside neighborhoods, then all of a sudden Hamas said like, whoa, you know, let's let's have a ceasefire, right? A hudna. So I don't know, like what happens if we try to win against Hamas? Who knows if it's never been tried? would be kind of cool. Um, the real solution to this thing would be, well, okay, they've, they've kind of made noises, like Avi Dichter, who is one of our ministers and used to run the, uh, the Shabak, which is our secret police, our Gestapo, if you will. So he's made a statement that we're going to destroy Hamas infrastructure, you know, and that's basically a dog whistle for we're going to bomb a bunch of empty shacks. Yeah, and that right. works fine except right. you got all these hostages and dead Israelis and people kind of got sick of it. Like that that, that was the song every single time until now. Yeah. So like so okay, so the next step from that in terms of like cutness in uh descending order is we're going to destroy sorry, just a second. We're going to destroy Hamas's power and ability to govern. Okay, well, who's going to govern all those people? Are you going to go back to doing it yourself like you used to? Are you going to keep a permanent force, an occupation force of, I don't know, like 30,000 Israeli troops in there? Are you going to be shooting people in the face and breaking legs and like, you know, riots every, every week? And are all these like beautiful souls who, you know, they're secular and they've gotten their education from basically franchises of Western universities. And so they're all about like minority rights and gay rights and all kind, all, every kind of right, except for the right of Jews to live in the land of Israel and not be killed or kidnapped or raped, like all the other rights before them. And now they're violating all these rights on a regular basis. This is how the Peace Now movement started. During yeah. the actual first First Intifada, which isn't called the First Intifada, but it, it was in 1982, I think, all these reservists from Tel Aviv had to go to Hebron and beat up a bunch of Arab rioters. And then they went back there and they said, this is terrible. This is horrible. We're, we're like Nazis. And, you know, formed this organization, started lobbying the Israeli government, getting a bunch of Western money, blah, blah, blah. So, okay. So you can't rule them. You can't leave, you can't leave Hamas in place. And these guys don't want to expel them all, right? Because we already mentioned all the reasons. You know, we can't go like Bibi and Sarah Netanyahu can't go shopping in Paris if Bibi is wanted in The Hague. Bibi can have to go shopping in in Caesarea and and like and like Tel Aviv and and you know I mean I mean I I understand it's really bad that Jews got like you know killed and raped and kidnapped and all this like yeah yeah we know but like I mean have you been to like Caesarea and have you been to Paris? It's it's incomparable. <laughs> it would be it would be a violation. You know, I mean, there's human rights, and and Bibi has human rights too. There's a right to go shopping in Paris. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, 
I don't remember which which uh, tractate of the Talmud ends with it, but it basically says like, listen, you know, like we got we ha- we have nobody to rely upon but our Father in heaven. We definitely cannot rely on the goy to do the right thing. And of course, all this like Western sympathy, you know, I mean, Rabbi Kahana may his may his blood be revenged. He he would say that like the world loves the Auschwitz Jew. Like you you trot out like like that like dying emaciated Auschwitz Jew, you know, big pile of bodies behind him. And like, there's like this outpouring of like sympathy and empathy. Yeah. But then if that Jew takes a weapon into his hands and starts, you know, defending himself and maybe even goes out there and kills his enemies before they kill him, uh, then, you know, all of a sudden we need to think about the, yeah. their rights, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Wow. It's quite a situation. Do you think that <laughs> this is, um, at all related to Russia? Is it related to Biden? I mean, are they emboldened by the weakness of the West, or is that bullshit? Uh, well, I mean, the West has been weak vis-a-vis the Palestinians. I don't think it's 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 weak. Actually, I think it's something much deeper. I wrote a um, I wrote a whole post about this. On Friday, on my Substack, which is um, called Post Kahanism, about about the Arabs and the relationship they have with the West, um, you know, and I never write about the Arabs in detail because usually I don't think they're like that significant. I don't think they're the driving factor, but I did I did uh, write about them in detail on Friday, and I said basically these guys are the same thing to the West, meaning the people who matter in the West, not like. Nick Fuentes and, and Wignats and not like uh, you know evangelicals and not like dudes living in in Idaho, but the people who matter in Western politics. You know, the coastal people in America and the academics in uh, in uh, in America and in England. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. What, what do you call that class? The the bobos, right? So yes. they matter because they represent something very profound, which to say they represent a sacrificial victim who atones by his suffering for their original sins, which is to say that if I sympathize, you know, if, if, if I've been raised to believe that my culture, my country, and my people are inherently evil, that they're just racist and colonialist and sexist and homophobic and all this other stuff, then I can project that onto a sacrificial victim and by, um, his suffering and by my empathy with his suffering, I can somehow alchemically have my guilt be turned into virtue. And this is a very deep uh, archetype. It goes back to, I think, uh, what was described by George Fraser in in the uh, Golden Bough, which everybody who has an interest in comparative religion should read. And it's how you have things like the Saturnalia or the Aztec temple sacrifices or how the uh, in Africa they would uh, sacrifice a king who eventually they would just substitute a slave for. It's a very primordial form of idolatry. And, you know, in America, for instance, internally you have um, martyrs like George Floyd, yeah. who, of course, St. Floyd died for all our sins. And then externally you have the, the suffering Palestinian people who are just, you know, so oppressed, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's been the case since, if you read a book called The Arabist by Robert Kaplan, um, 
it's been the case since the establishment of the state of Israel in some ways. Um, there's been a relationship between the U.S., the American deep state and Palestinian terrorists uh, that goes back a very long time. For instance, during the, um, during the war in Lebanon in 1981, the U.S. embassy was evacuated from, from uh, Beirut. The security was provided by the PLO. Hmm. I've, I've seen pictures of this. It's, it's super cool. <clears throat> so, so, you know, how much of this is like American weakness and how much of this has been the, America's adoration of the, the Palestinian people and their righteous cause and, uh, you know, we can't make an omelet without breaking two eggs. It's up for debate. Um, I do know that a lot of the weapons that were abandoned in Afghanistan by the U.S., and by the way, I spent some time in Afghanistan. I was previously in uh, the U.S. military. Wow. The military I worked as a contractor, which is a yeah. whole separate, I think, yeah. interesting story. Um, I was there in 2011. So the U.S. pullout abandoned a ton, a ton and ton of uh, really high-quality American kit, small arms being prominent among them, and a lot of the stuff made its way to Gaza. It made its way to other places. Also, a lot of the American aid to the Ukraine was sold off um, on the black market. I'm talking lethal aid and things like Javelin missiles and so on, which are really good for killing tanks with. Um, and I would assume drones, too, made their way to, or at least the drone technology uh, that, that are being used in the Ukraine made their way to Gaza as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a long answer to. A, a yeah, very short so question. so maybe yeah. there's some something there, but yeah, it's it, it could be related to Afghanistan. the The thing that I'll say on my end that I've been surprised about is, I like you, or I agree with you that I feel like it's been in this same basic state of skirmishes since 2006. And the left, the American left, as it's abandoned economics entirely and has gone 100 percent into identity, has crept closer and closer to being very openly pro-Palestine. And, you know, this is what you hear people talking about on campuses and, and things like that. Um but to me, it was all that was all kind of silly. Like it wasn't really real. Like the Jews who were saying, "Oh, I'm, I, I feel unsafe on campus." Like that was bullshit. I thought, and um, you know, it felt like they were looking for reasons to be victims, etc. Right? Um, because, and I think the reason for that is because all these little skirmishes were just like one. You know, it was a very they were very small, right? Whereas when this happened yesterday and you're seeing these like really horrific images of like families being killed, of women being kidnapped, of, you know, like really, really bad shit. And immediately the New York Times, uh, the DSAs, so the DSAs are the Democratic Socialists of America. They're like every rich Jewish kid who's an ultra lefty becomes a DSA member. I've known like many of them. And they all came out immediately like free. It wasn't just like, oh, this is bad. They came out immediately 100% free Palestine. Like the New York Times published a thing, like immediately, <laughs> being like being like, the, 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 you know, they did nothing wrong. And I was like, wow. 
That was really surprising to me. Everybody said to me, oh, you should have known, you should have known. But I really didn't think that it, they were that far left. Like, I didn't think that those institutions would do that, you know, today. Maybe they thought it was just like another small thing and didn't really realize the scale of it, you know, and now they're going to have to go retrack. But I can't imagine any Jewish liberal guy who is like going to be OK with The New York Times publishing a pro-Palestine article on the day this happened. Like, that seems crazy to me. So. There's a lot, there's a lot, um, as the lib say to unpack there. Yeah. <clears throat> so first of all, the idea that the American libs are economically irrational and all wrapped up in identity politics, it seems to make a lot of sense on the surface because there's a lot of hysteria there. But when you look at the results of their geopolitics, they're actually pretty coherent. For instance, you can look at... Um, you can look at the war in Ukraine and you can say, okay, listen, you know, like, how can it be that everybody who voted for Trump is a Nazi, but if he served in uh, yeah, uh, the Gal Galician SS, then, you know, you're not so bad. I mean, you were, a, you were an SS guy, but you weren't like a, one of the bad SS guys. You were an okay, right? Um, but then when you actually look at the outcome of the war, it's basically the U.S. kind of destroying the economies of its European um, enemies by proxy, yeah. right? And and maybe you know and and grinding the Russian military down to I don't know what's going to be left of them when they're done, but I know that probably not a single American soldier, or maybe very few American soldiers and American contractors and American sheep dip guys are going to be dead as a result in of fighting in the Ukraine, right? So so there's an underlying rationale to this. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of Israel, we've always been America's frenemies, or at least going back to 1973, right? There's always been this 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 American strategy of putting uh, a thumb on both sides of the scale, you know, and not letting either side really win, making sure, you know, uh, the conflict keeps going so that we need American support, we need America's moral legitimation. You know, Carl Schmidt talks about this in the theory of the partisan, right? Like what the partisan really, really, really can do without is some interested third party that provides legitimacy. Well, okay, but the counterpartisan also in our case, right? You can see what happens when the counterpartisan doesn't have that legitimacy um, in the case of Rhodesia and South Africa. Okay, so America can afford it. America can su support both sides of the conflict and then at a strategic moment, do what Curtis Yarvin refers to as pulling the chair, meaning, you know, now you're reliant on us. Oh, now, sorry, human rights violations. We can't send you all that ammo you're waiting on. Yeah. No, you can't yeah. pay your salaries. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. And now you're worse off than if you hadn't taken anything. You know, if you were like fighting these guys off with, uh, with weapons you made yourself, you'd be right. better off. Yeah. Right. So, which is I, also what we saw in Afghanistan, right? The second that American support was cut off, these guys, so I mean, they could have probably kept fighting forever if they'd been using AK-47s, right? Um, but because they were using Blackhawks and Humvees and stuff, the second American support uh, was pulled, they were, they were done. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, as far as the American domestic thing, so I went to college in America in about 2010. 
Um, it was obvious that the Muslim Students Association's stance, even though they would church it up for, uh, for Whitey, of course, well, it's like that Somali girl wrote in response to yesterday's attacks. What did you think decolonization yeah, looked like? Yeah, 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 I saw that. Well, we know what decolonization looked like because we went through all this in Africa, right? Like Africa IBO. Decolonization yeah. looks like uh, the guys in Zanzibar driving all the Arabs who've been living among them for centuries into the sea with their, with their family. Decolonization yeah. looks like chopping people's arms and legs off with machetes. Yeah. That's exactly. So, you know, and if you say, well, how could all these nice liberals um, before, you know, be, be supportive of little kids and, you know, being kidnapped, women being drugged by their hair and thrown into trucks, you know, dead people being paraded around. I can tell you that that's exactly what they supported in the uh, 50s and 60s. And that's exactly what they supported internally. Um, if you read Tom, uh, Tom Wolf's um, Mao Mao and the Fat Catchers, right? Yeah. He, he had another essay along with it, which was, gosh, I can't remember. It, it had like Leonard Bernstein and stuff in it. And it was basically about how these guys all supported the Black Panthers. Yeah. And when you read about what the Black Panthers were actually doing was they were just, you know, uh, torture, murdering people left and right and committing atrocities. You know, they supported the SES, which was committing domestic terrorism and blowing people up. And there's nothing new, you know? Yeah, there's Eldridge nothing, Cleaver. Uh, there's nothing Eldridge, new at all here. Eldridge Cleaver was raping white women as an act of, uh, as an act of liberation, remember? Uh, well, he, yeah. he'd rape the black ones just cause. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, was that, a... was, yeah, that was practice. That was practice for the uh, for the main show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's nothing personal. Yeah. No, well, so I totally agree with you, of course, on, on all points. I just think that maybe, and again, this could just be my naivete. You know, that's what everybody seems to be saying. And it's probably true just because I wasn't paying any attention to this shit at all in college. But it seems to me that I had never seen the far left or the supposed far left, you know, the campus left, et cetera. I had never seen them be so brazen uh, before or before this. You know, you know whose fault this is? Yeah. What? You know whose fault this is? This is, this is Elon Musk's fault. <laughs> because... No, I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm not, I'm not being facetious at all. This is totally the fault of Elon Musk <clears throat> or it's his uh, merit because previously you would get all this footage. You know, you'd say all these little skirmishes, you know, here in Israel. But all these little skirmishes in Israel involve hundreds of big-ass rockets being launched into residential areas. Right. right. The fact that they didn't kill a lot of Israelis is because we had a thing called the Iron Dome. Right. Um, yeah. But not, not for lack of trying. So, but all this stuff was carefully curated by the New York Times and CNN and all the people who mattered. And so you would never see like footage of the Fogel family and their there's chopped up on the floor in their bedroom because it would just, just wouldn't make it that way. You know, there'd be like some euphemistically phrased article uh, and then 70% of it would be like pondering the sad fate of the Palestinian people or whatever. Elon Musk bought Twitter and all this stuff came out on Twitter and all these people reshared it because they were too dumb and barbaric to understand how it would make him look. And then there was kind of a virtue signaling spiral because you can't, you know, 
if you're in the DSA, you're trying to get laid fundamentally. Yes. Like you're listening to get definitely true. And you can't be like, listen, dude, I don't know about the you know the Palestinian cause anymore because you're you're definitely not going to get laid now. <laughs> but the guy that's like, yeah, that's right, <laughs> that's right, you know, he he might. Yeah, because it has and, to get uh, spicier and spicier. Like, it, the, in order to yeah. entice the women, you have to get you have to like be spicier than the next guy, right? Yeah, that, I think that's true. That's very true. Like, what would Chapel Trap House say about the footage of yesterday? Yeah, you know, I'm, Chapel Trap House would have to be like, listen, you know, like, hey, man, you're living in occupied land, and uh, yeah, you know, something, some people did some stuff. <laughs> yeah, know? right, right, right. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm I'm hopeful that this will be for the normie, you know, for the normie mind, that this will be a f- opportunity for the left to actually fracture. I don't know. Did you see um, Gretchen Whitmer, who is the literal definition of the longhouse, the governor of Michigan? Did you see her tweet? I, I read that she didn't um, she didn't say Israel anywhere in there. She said she had the that's, most that's hilariously like long housed tweet you've ever seen because it's just so like you can just see the her team of like her diverse longhouse team like behind <laughs> her, you know, like you can see them yeah. basically yeah, like arguing. Wait, let me find let me find the actual tweet. It's so hilarious. It, it was like something to do that. with communities, like the communities are affected, you know. So it, this is the region. Oh, no, here it basically. is. Yeah, it was. I have been in touch with communities. <laughs> I have been yes. in touch with communities impacted by what's happening in the region. It is abhorrent. Right. My heart is with all those impacted. We need peace in this region. That's it. <laughs> There's no other. Like it's so insane. I it's believe, just like I the believe the children are the future. Yes, right. Of the right. region, the region, like, like without any, di- you know, well, like it's so, co- it's so I mean, like 1984. Don't we all, don't we all live in a region? Aren't yeah. we all impacted? What region? What region are events? you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> any, any region, any, any region really. Just coming the, region. Look, the region, the yeah. region. These people's mindset is basically that of a, of a gender ambiguous elementary school teacher. Yeah. Right. Who, you know, listen, you know, like we need to talk about things and you can't, you know, like it's not right for him to punch you, but maybe you need to, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so as, as always, you know, the, the story is that one of the kids getting punched, the lesson he learns is you can punch people and then you only get half the blame. Um, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I don't, the, the, the really gross part of this whole thing is that, from my perspective, is that we are turned into some sort of bizarre proxy play actors for American psychodrama. Um, yeah. And yeah. That the Jewish people, instead of acting as sort of the representatives of Hashem on earth, for, for good or for worse, we're turned into these like meat puppets for for state department weirdos to feel better about themselves. Yeah, well like, and that's what people? it feels like. Yeah, it feels that's what it feels like the corner is turning now, you know? That now we are going to then, you know, it's like reversing where we were kind of like puppeting everybody else for a little while and now they're all going to puppet us for a long time. And it's going to be like 
yeah, it's going to be like the awfuls, you know, the affluent white female, whatever's liberals. Uh, they're going to get to, you know, have their own psychodramas based on which side they choose. I've already seen that. I, I already have like four girls who aren't Jews on my Instagram feed posting like fla- like Israeli flags. And I'm just like, why are you posting? <laughs> like, you know, like it's just a, it's a weird thing to do, you know? Oh, 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 there. I just lost you for one second. I keep going. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Uh, are we Ukraine now? Yeah, it, right. It's like, right. Are we, are we current things? Like, are they going to current thing this? You know, like, I feel like that's kind of what's going to happen. It's like, this is going to get current. Okay. Can, 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 can we can we still be current thing if we act like we're trying to the Arabs? Or will we then not be current thing? Well, but see, and this is why, why, where, you know, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. Okay. Oh, I think I'm losing you. I, I'm sorry. Let me, let me see first. I think I'm losing you, dude. Uh, we, uh, hello, uh, we should probably, yeah, we yeah, should. Yeah, yeah. We should probably call it anyway because this was a great combo, and I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it. And I'm sure you have many, many people to talk to, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, uh, I can hear you the whole time. Oh, you can. Okay, I just heard you. I, yeah, I can. I can hear you. The I can hear you the whole time. I can hear you the whole time. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Sweet. So uh, all I was saying was that I'm not sure that we can get into that sweet uh, of uh, like the Ukrainians, where whatever you do, it's all kosher. And the reason I'm not sure is because there are so many assimilated Jews in U.S. corridors of power yeah. who, for them, being Jewish is the most shameful aspect of their existence. Like to them, like the only the only thing worse than being associated with like the ugly Israeli oppressing Arabs TM is would be being associated with Hasidim or something. And so they cannot abstract themselves in the same sense that when you think about the psychology, when they look at some Ukrainian dude who had served in the SS or who is out there shooting Russian prisoners in the knees or whatever, it's it's like National Geographic. Like this Komodo dragon is It's about deer, you know, but like you got to understand it's like, it's, it's just what it does. That's its niche in the ecosystem. And so it's okay. They cannot abstract themselves from us that way because deep down their soul, they understand that they belong to the Jewish people on some level that they, they can do nothing about. They hate it, but it's, it's true. It's there. So I don't think we can get into that sweet spot of like Ukraine type current thing where it's okay if you just expel all these people. Um, you know, because like look look at look at these sad pictures of what they did to you. Yeah, I I, I doubt it. Yeah, it, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be strange to see what happens. No, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. You, you they're not gonna be able to just like push it off. Um, hmm. Well, dude, thank you so much. Uh, this was really really great. Um, yeah. I so what are you gonna do? 
right now? I mean, are you, it seems like everything's going pretty well where you are, but like, are, I, I don't know. Well, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to, in, in the immediate future, I'm going to focus on keeping my immediate community safe. Uh, probably tomorrow I'm going to send my wife and kids to a larger settlement, which has a decent amount of security, which I checked out today. Um, hopefully I can secure something better than a pistol. And yeah. then I plan to go out and, uh, watch, uh, guard basically various small isolated communities and, uh, do my best to ensure that, um, what we saw happen yesterday will not happen to them or, or die trying. Um, and that sounds a little bit, um, pathetic, I guess with a B. Uh, it, so- it sounds a little bit uh, puffed up, maybe, um, but that's that's honestly how I feel. I had my parents contact me and say, you know, listen, you can come back to the states here. You can send your wife and kids here until things calm down. And I, I said, like, absolutely, absolutely not. You know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want my 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 kids to see us as like these Jews that like you know, oh, they get beat up and they run away. Yeah. And you know, and I said that to them and then I came home and I mentioned it to my family and my wife and my kids and my wife was born here in Israel and they were all like, yeah, absolutely not. We, we do not run away. Yeah, and really. so I don't intend, I don't intend to, to run away. Um, I do really hope that the people who have been America's partners in this whole sick Kabuki play that we, we all live in here, who I call them like, Quizzing scenes or shtetl libs, I hope those people leave. I hope they go and find their their wonderful life in in California, in New York. I don't care where the, they they can just leave so that the rest of us can do what we need to do to live here in our land as the Jewish people should live. Um, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm going to do my best to to help the the Jews around me, and you know. God willing, you know, he, he will not abandon us. Not, 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 not because we're so good, right? Not because the state of Israel is a good state and the government of Israel uh, behaves properly, right? I don't call it the glory for nothing. But just to avoid a desecration of his name. And we see this idea in the, in the Torah all the time that we represent the name of God amongst the nations. They judge him by what happens with us. And that he saves us not for our sake, but for the sake of his name. And that's what I'm counting on. And listen, fundamentally, dude, um, if I die, I die. You know, we all got to die sometime. I've had a pretty interesting and good life. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of it. I, I personally, of course, I don't want to. I hope that he will give me uh, many more years of, of doing good things in his world. But if it happens, it happens, and I'm not, I'm not sweating it. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to um, embarrass him. Right. That makes sense. That's the most important thing. That's very inspiring and very well said. And we need a lot more people like you who understand that, you know, the point of life on this earth is to not die sniveling and afraid and screaming uh, of in fear of death. I think that's the challenge that lays before us. So I think it's very uh, admirable that, you know, this is where uh, people get tested, right? 
<laughs> and and I think you're passing you're passing the test uh, with flying Listen, colors. So. As as the saying goes, when I die, you know, I want to go peacefully into my sleep and not screaming in, in terror and pain. You know, I want to go peacefully in my sleep like my grandpa, not screaming in terror and pain like the passengers on his bus. So fine, whatever. Um, we'll uh, we'll see <laughs> yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Uh, all right, man. Well, good luck. Uh, you know, I, I I would say stay safe out there, but that sounds like a stupid thing to say. So I would say stay uh, stay strong and stay courageous, man. Which is what it seems like you're doing. And uh, yeah, man. I mean, uh, I, I think you're gonna gonna be fine. I think you're gonna make it through. But um, we'll be obviously paying close close attention. And please uh, keep giving us updates whenever you can. All right, Isaac. Thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, your time. It's been uh, it's been uh, very good for me to be able to discuss all this um, in some sort of organized, collective way. Of course, brother. Anytime. All right. Take care.